You are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The View, the Church of the Larger Fellowship's weekly talk show. We are so glad that you are joining us today, and we are excited um, to speak with our guests today. But first, our hosts will um, give us our <laughs> weekly round the country roundup. I'm Christina Rivera. I'm Virginia, where it is that otherwise just, you know, overcast, cold, just a regular everyday winter day here, but no snow, no rain, just kind of, yeah. <laughs> Meg Riley, how you doing? Hey, it's one degree here in Minneapolis. We went over zero. Woohoo! <laughs> it's been cold. You know, I was out in Albuquerque last week. I missed y'all and it was 60 and sunny and I could walk around without falling, and it was really nice. <laughs> I came back, and it was, yeah, really, really cold here. My dog, I have to, like, beg her to go outside to pee. <laughs> I think she pees icicles. Anyway, it's cold. It's Minnesota. I'm going to L.A. next week, and I'm looking forward to it. Asia Hauser, how are you? Hi, I'm Asia Hauser. I'm actually in Bellevue, Washington, which is just across the lake from where I usually am in Seattle. It has been sunny the past two days. I've actually needed to wear sunglasses, which has not happened since November 2019, people, because it's Seattle. <clears throat> so it's it's coldish, but it's like in the 40s. So I'm kind of embarrassed to call that cold compared to one degree. Um, so it's fine. Does your dog wear a coat, Meg? I'm like shivering on behalf of your you dog. You know, I have little coats for her, but she hates them even more. Oh. Than so right now she just runs out and runs back in. But if I, if I take her out, yes, I make her wear these silly little coats. My dogs do that in the rain. They hate the rain. Hate it. So they'll run out, do their business real quick. And even when I'm walking them, they don't even want me to go past a half a block. So anyway, that's me. I'm here in the church library. So you can see books behind me. I don't have a cool background like Clyde. Antonia, how are you? I am also in uh, a library type space. I'm in the archives at the U Congregation at Montclair. So I am doing well. Um, I'm excited to have this conversation with Reverend Danielle and Reverend Clyde. And I will be fielding all of your questions over on YouTube. And so just ask any questions that you need to ask and I will get them to the, um, to the people that they need to get to. I can't wait to see what we have to talk about. All right, uh, Christina, back to you. And we are lucky to have um, Lori Sarasky behind the chalice for us today, just helping out on any kind of tech catastrophes that may or may not happen. You never know on The View. And you never know with uh, YouTube and Facebook. So thanks, Lori, for, for being there for us. Um, we usually do a, a weekly UU roundup, and I just recognize that I didn't really do any research this week uh, to see what's going on in Unitarian Universalism. Anybody have anything that they want to give a shout out to or um, make note of? Well, I can say officially that Charles Dumond and I are the only candidates for moderator. 
So this happened a while ago, but I've been gone. So um, yeah, that's going to happen, I guess. I'm a little surprised. I kind of thought there'd be an election and I'm relieved just because of my schedule. But um, yeah, anyway, so yeah, that's, that's the only big news that I'm living with. Congratulations, Meg, to you and to Charles. I think it is just really exciting that you all are taking on this work and, and you know, it is definitely work. And so for folks that, <laughs> that don't know, the moderators <clears throat> are the, in this case, the co-moderators of the EU Board of Trustees serve as the chair of the EU Board of Trustees and the moderators for General Assembly um, general sessions where we get the quote unquote business uh, I like to say the Ministry of our Unitarian Universalist governance done. So thank you so much for your service. Meg and Charles will be co-moderators for um, typically it's six years, but this time it's five. Is that right, Meg, to get us back on? It is. A friend of mine said, what is it, a year? I said, no, five. And she said, oh, you're not going to have any friends by the time it's over. Oh, no. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'll so still much. be your friend. Thank you, Aisha. <laughs> We'll be there with you. <laughs> Definitely, Meg. So thank you so much. And already we've got um, uh, our viewers are chiming in. George Squire says, Meg, you richly deserve it. So true. So thank you. Yeah, both. we're lucky. I'm so excited. Yeah, Unitarian Universalism is lucky. Um, I'm thrilled to welcome um, our guest today. Hold on one second. Antonia had something. That's right. That's right. Go, go, go. Oh, I just wanted to uh, shout out uh, Sarah Green and Thrive is happening in July and, and she posted that. Uh, can somebody tell us more about Thrive and why this is so awesome? Yeah, um, so Thrive is what used to be Multicultural Learning School. Um, it is a program for youth, um, youth of color leaders um, and within Unitarian Universalism. So youth are uh, from rising ninth through rising 12th, I believe it is, um, are encouraged to go to um, the UA.org website and you can type in Thrive and uh, find out how to apply to the program. It's usually um, just short of a week and youth from all over the US get together and um, there are mentors there at Thrive who talk about leadership development, talk about ministry, talk about all sorts of things. And it's just a really beautiful um, way for youth to be able to find their people <laughs> within Unitarian Universalism and also to find their mentors and to find out where their support systems are. Um, I know my kids went to Thrive um, and it changed their way of being Unitarian Universalists. Um, and we hosted a Thrive <clears throat> a couple of years ago at East Shore, and we had youth from all over the country, primarily the West Coast, because we're on the West. But it was, and I was so I was one of the leaders along with Santa Said and Reverly, Reverend Kimberly Quinn Johnson. Awesome, awesome, awesome. It was great. Yeah. And um, it is heavily, heavily, heavily sponsored, underwritten by the UUA. So if finances are an issue, please don't let that stop you because they just find ways to make it happen. So um, definitely check it out because it's awesome. And also um, I think some the uh, application for summer seminary, for youth for summer seminary, I believe is also open, um, which is in Denver, I think coming up this year. 
Um, so go for it, people. And is that Kiana who posted about Black Mama's bailout organizing call? Um, yeah, we need more. So we just got a note in the notes that Black Mama bailout organizing call on February 28th. So as soon as we get more, I'm guessing that's Kiana Perkins. I, I actually put that up there. Um, Kiana definitely is the organizer for that from uh, Black Lives of UU. But uh, the Black Mama's bailout from uh, key organizers are Black Lives of UU and Southerners on New Ground. Uh, the info call, the kind of organizing call, it will be next week, February 28th. You can go to Black Lives of UU's Facebook page to get more information. Uh, and it will, the actual event is still a few, couple months off. So you've got plenty of time to organize in your congregations. So head over to Black Lives of UU Facebook page and get signed up for that webinar that will kick this off. This Maybe year. two lines to describe it, Lori. Yeah, sure. So uh, Black Lives or Black Mama's Bailout is about getting um, bail money for people who are in jail uh, and separated from their families and to get them reunited. So it started a few years ago with pulling, um, trying to pool mother money together from people to get folks out in time for Mother's Day. And now it's expanded to um, pretty much a year round effort to bail people out many times who are in jail uh, just because of lack of the ability to bail themselves out. It is one of the most satisfying things to give money to, I can imagine, um, that, that I give money to, to, to imagine reuniting a family. What, what could be more valuable? It is amazing. And, and just the organizing work that has gone on around it has been a beautiful thing to see. It really has been. And I bet it'll be a future view show. That would be a great view show. <laughs> so today we have with us um, the Reverend uh, Danielle Devona, who's been serving Unitarian Universalism for over 30 years. And Danielle's the 2018 recipient uh, award for distinguished service to the cause of Unitarian Universalism. And is a preacher, this year's uh, preacher for the service of the living tradition at General Assembly in Providence. <laughs> I'm so excited about that because, <laughs> full disclosure, service of the living tradition always happens when I hit my GA lull and so many times I just can't make it to it. So this year I'm going to be there. Awesome. In her quote unquote retirement, uh, Reverend Devona serves as the palliative care chaplain at the South Shore Hospital in Wayland, uh, Massachusetts. She served as a member of the UU Nominating Committee and on the UU Women's Federation Board. She's the former president and vice president of DRUM, which is the Diverse and Revolutionary Unitarian Universalist Multicultural Ministries, and blesses us by continuing to serve as the DRUM chaplain. Chaplain, hello. Um, she also serves on the board of the Church of the Larger Fellowship and is chaplain of the UUA Board of Trustees and at Finding Our Way Home, which is coming up. Thank you so much, Danielle. Our other guest today is the Reverend Clyde Grubbs, a Unitarian Universalist minister who serves congregations in, who has served congregations in Indiana, Quebec, and Massachusetts, Texas, Florida, and California. I love all those places. 
Um, Clyde honors his family's Texas Cherokee traditions, which informs his spiritual understanding and practice and his anti-racist and anti-oppressive commitment. He has worked for peace, justice, and equity since he was in the Unitarian Universalist Youth Movement, which was then the Liberal Religious Youth, L-R-Y, if any of you remember. So thank you all so much. Um, today's topic is um, GA 2020, Let's Get Real. And um, so I'll preface it by saying GA 2020 being Providence, um, about, I think it was six years ago now, GA was in Providence. And um, at this GA, we passed, um, can't remember if it was an action of immediate witness, I believe it was, um, talking about how we need to decolonize um, both Thanksgiving, but in particular, uh, recognizing that we were going to be back in Providence around the 400th anniversary, quote unquote, anniversary of the landing of the Mayflower, and what it means to come into indigenous lands um, with an intentional lens um, as Unitarian Universalists. Now, I preface this by saying that we are all on indigenous lands here um, in the US. And, um, and so I think there's an intentionality around how you do that in the area that you live in um, versus when you are going to visit an area. Um, and so that's why um, I kind of wanted to bring Danielle and Clyde here and just um, talk about that a little bit. So thank you both so much for coming. I appreciate it. And um, I'm just going to dive in and, and talk about GA 2020. And, and Danielle, uh, maybe you could start us off with what you, um, what you see and understand about us being there uh, in particular. I'm not very tech savvy, took me a while to unmute. Um, I'm actually, uh, I'm quite nervous about going to Providence on the 400th anniversary. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that we can be on our best behavior, mostly because I'm not convinced that we actually understand the history and um, the results of that history. Um, and sometimes we can be a bit thoughtless. Um, so yeah, so I'm a little I'm a little concerned. I was actually in Providence this week. I was preaching at the um, at the Providence congregation and afterwards a woman came up to me and with a big smile on her face, told me how much she loves the Redskins and their name because, um, you know, it's, it's a real honor for Indian people. So that's in Providence. I set her straight. <laughs> I told her we didn't care what she thought. It was unacceptable and thoughtless and um, she should stop. Uh, but we're in the 21st century and we're still hearing that stuff. I'm also interested to note that uh, this past week, uh, one, of the, one of the folks down in Mashpee had the center of his Wampanoag um, 
uh, flag had the center cut out of it, you know, the symbol of, of the tribe. Um, and then, of course, you probably all know that the uh, Plymouth Rock was painted red. Uh, and those two things happened at the same time, but the flag was desecrated before the rock was desecrated. So, you know, it can be very exciting. We're going to have a lot of Native things going on. Um, there'll be a lot of opportunities to learn more about colonization and the, the local Native people, and it can also be a little nerve-wracking. Can you, um, Danielle, can you tell us, and or Clyde, can you tell us um, the specific um, people's land that we're on that, that are in that area? It's well, with, Narragansett. Yes, yeah. Uh, with Wampanoag being close, about a far, you, as far as you could get, uh, Wampanoag territory is about a, a bicycle ride. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And of course, there's a lot of crossover. Yeah. Danielle, you're doing the part of the Berry Street as well as the unserved <laughs> tradition. Yay. Um, are you going to talk about this? Is this um, what, you, what you plan to, to address? So th there are three of us. We'll be on a panel. Uh, we're going to talk about covenant relationships and um, white, white supremacy, uh, decentering white supremacy, whiteness. And um, we'll do some on the local area. Uh, the colonization of the the place we're sitting on and the continued colonization. Yeah. So, you know, it, they say it's an hour, I think, but I suspect you'll be sitting there for longer than that. <laughs> um, and I just want to, I just want to, um, you know, clarify for folks that you know, I, I and I, I think Kiana Perkins, she's online, said thank you for saying that maybe we're not ready to be there and to do this well. And, um, and I think that that's a real, a real concern. Um, and so I wonder, you know, what are the ways in which we can invite people to prepare for this? We could have a conversation about, uh, you know, sort of the, the most common things that settlers say. That's we, and and you know, put them on a sheet of paper and say, I mean, could we, I mean, liking the Redskins is is interesting, but uh, I mean, the the Braintree. Um, Football high school football squad is called the Wamps. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, so some things are close at home, right? Right there. Uh, and, and I don't think there's an indigenous person in the UUA that hasn't had somebody come up to them and apologize for uh, boarding schools or something like that, which is a heavy burden to take when you're on your way to lunch. Um, I want to apologize for my ancestors. So spend five minutes telling you this. That's don't all. do that. Okay, just don't do that. But you can put a, <laughs> put a list of 
most common most common uh, things that require patience and and irony on the part of the uh, those of us who who identify with this uh, these original peoples. An indigenous people's history. It wouldn't hurt to read that. Which is this year's common read. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And read you know it's version because it's that's what I'm reading. The real ver real version, the adult version's great. The young people's one you could finish by GA. So I highly recommend reading. That's the one I'm reading. <laughs> but you know, the other thing is people can look. We're always on the internet. Um, so you know, why not look up the local tribes where we're going for GA? Why not have a couple of recommended um, websites to look at? Uh, yeah, Be and you know, having a list, having a list of things not to say would be do. or do would be great. Oh, would be I've had people point at me. Oh yeah, huh? Look, look at the Indian. <laughs> Okay, but yeah, so I mean, we are doing the, 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 the work has been going on for months. Yes. I mean, we've had conversations with leadership people. Uh, I can tell you some of the results. Uh, uh, Narragansett folks, uh, Massachusetts folks. Uh, but uh, we have, we, we, today, this morning I was working with Lumi, in, uh, in the Pacific Northwest, the president of the uh, the newly elected and very young president of the National Congress of American Indians is coming. Um, we have uh, groups, the Lakota coming, people from Oklahoma are coming. So we, there's a, the people from New York so yeah, there is a, could we could be a considerable number of not uh, indigenous people from communities around the country coming to workshops, workshops presentations for our uh, call to action at, on Sunday afternoon. Um, and we, we're having that big display brought in. The big display. Yeah. And we have Narragansett, right? Roxanne and uh, uh, is going to be there, so it's going to be good in a lot of ways. It'll be a real challenge. Uh, the, the question is, is this a one-up, one thing? Oh, uh, my question was, um, I think one of the things that, that, you know, we often, folks from marginalized communities often experience when we're at GA and we're doing a presentation or, and it sounds like there's gonna be a lot of really rich content and presentation. Um, but I think something that we all experience um, is after that's done, there's like a rush of people who want to come up and um, in the words of one of my other uh, POC elders, uh, get their cookie, um, which is to be affirmed for how much, how, progressive they are and how much they appreciate, you know, what's, what's gone on. And um, I'm wondering if, if there's some advice that we can give folks about that practice. Well, yeah. I think it could be on the, there is, 
to to she try to overshare your especially i mean uh, one of the things that happens when we give workshops to general assembly of people will it could tell us a bragging a bragging kind of tell if you about all the con uh, the context they have back home. Yeah. Well, I wish they would write that up and tell us, but not just on the you know aisle or at a table in GA, because the UUA probably could put a, put it together and do something with it. But but the it becomes more like a brag. We're doing all this. Um. You, talking about people making a rush uh, to get their cookie, a lot of the folks that are going to be there are not you. You, a lot of the native folks are not you. You most and hmm? most most we'll be outnumbered ten to one. <laughs> <laughs> so that means no, there'll be forty of them. Well. No, <laughs> um, and most native people have a thing about personal space. I mean, most of us do, but for strangers to, you know, get close to me, I don't know about you, Clyde, it makes me kind of, kind of, I get palpitations. And um, I think that's going to be an issue about people coming up and there's so many things happening. There'll be so many people. Uh, it's going to be overwhelming. Uh, I don't know if there's an answer to that, but uh, just let's be aware of how we approach our native siblings. Yeah, I think, um, you know, they, and sometimes um, what I notice is like, so this happened after, um, after we did the, um, the bilingual worship service at GA, um, there were so many white folks that came up I actually saw my my Latinx UU siblings who were trying to get to us couldn't even get to us. Like you know, they they were trying to make a connection um, because of what we were there for, and and they couldn't even get to we couldn't get to them. They couldn't get to us. And so you know, maybe taking a moment to pause and see you know who really needs to interact with these people. Um, you know, from a from a shared identity standpoint, or um, you know, just taking a beat and and getting the lay of the land, um, and you know, trying to to really you know interrogate: is this really something for me, or is this something for the person that I'm trying to approach? Um, I think would be really helpful uh, for folks to just take a moment. <laughs> So you, uh, Daniela, you mentioned that there's going to be a display. Is, do you want to tell us more about that, or should we be anticipating it and as a surprise? Clyde? Yes. <laughs> he has more info on that. I believe it's Narragansett. We've oh, sat around the table, and I thought, oh, it is a, oh, and the language, too, language. Language. The Wampanoag have a big museum display that moves around the country. We're going to have it for uh, all but one day at GA uh, Saturday. It'll, it'll uh, because it's got it's already been promised to someplace in Cleveland. So uh, Friday night it gets disassembled and somehow magically appears 
hundreds of miles away. I'm glad I'm not doing that part, but so you're disassembling it. But it basically talks the story of what the Wampanoag people were and the pre-1620 experience. It's a, it's a big display, and which is something that we need to strongly talk, we're gonna be talking about a lot in some of our workshops. One third of all the slaves in the Western hemisphere were indigenous from this hemisphere. So you have this, the, 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 as early as 1605, uh, there was a guy named Weymouth, which there's a town named Weymouth here in Massachusetts, who came a, a, along the coast of Massachusetts and would raid villages and take indigenous peoples back. There's another guy named Hull. We have a whole bunch, so large numbers of indigenous peoples had already been grabbed by slave catchers and brought it brought into slavery. There's a Wampanoag community in Bermuda today um, that talks about they, they identify as Wampanoag, but they've been in Bermuda since 1612 or something like that. So you you this is a tremendous. Uh, we have the Pequot people who were. Who were, we had, and a letter from the governor of uh, Connecticut to the governor of Massachusetts, 1637. And he says, uh, we'll never develop Connecticut without slaves. And we should start a war with the Pequot, exchange them for slaves in the islands and bring the Africans here. So it's an important part of the connection that we're gonna be talking about a lot. White settler colonialism is the process of trying to enslave and, and remove the indigenous population and, and, and institute plantation slavery in the uh, North American, which was part of very central part of the founding of the country, so to speak, or the, and the conquest. So, Plantations were taken, people were taken into captivity. This boarding schools and were another form of removal. So we'll be talking about all those things a lot. Uh, it will be difficult for some people to hear. Yes, yes. Um, Clyde, can you talk about the language project? I think that's going to be part of the display. Is that right? Yes, I think the language part is it. I, 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 the, the display keeps getting added to. Uh, Jesse Little Doe Bard um, uh, would drive around her ta uh, uh, Hyannis, well, uh, Mashpee, Massachusetts. And she'd drive around and she'd see these street signs. And you, you can see them all over Massachusetts. You'll see towns named Cohasset or Situate or or uh, rivers called uh, Narragansett, uh, and or bays called Narragansett, rivers called uh, Naponset. And you'd say, well, they're kind of strange names. And they're, of course, they're the indigenous people of Massachusetts spoke a language that was spoken by the Narragansett people, the Wampanoag people, the Massachusetts people, the Nipmac people, all of these people spoke this language called, which is the, the dialect of Algonquin. And, but nobody knew it. It had been wiped out by the Puritans. By, uh, but we had records uh, that were written in the original language for deeds or for 
children to be in what's called that indentured labor. So she set out to rediscover the Wampanoag language. And she, and that was about 14, 15 years ago. There's a movie that will be shown at General Assembly on that. And we, she has succeeded to the degree that she has written a large numbers of translations. And at this point, we're seeing the first number of children who speak Wampanoag as their first language and probably learned English as their second language uh, since, let's say, 1810, when the Wampanoag language started to be strongly discouraged. Schools were closed, towns were dispersed, um, people were put into uh, about, uh, some kind of, given some job. So that's the language disappeared, wasn't used, but people, but the names are all there. It's just uh, Massachusetts has one, that is one of those names. People, Connecticut is one of those names. So. Clive, do you know how many of the, um, because he, so I hadn't even heard of land acknowledgements until I moved to the Northwest. That was not something that we had in New Jersey. It wasn't until very recently that um, I looked up where I grew up, the Lenny Lenape and the Piscataway in New Jersey and New York area. Um, but one of the huge issues that's alive for <clears throat> many of the tribes in this area, the Coast Salish peoples, how many are recognized by the U.S. government and how many aren't, because that has huge implications for funding and resources, and uh, tribal recognition and land. So I'm curious about uh, tribal recognition uh, in the Northeast. I was surprised to learn when I went to New Hampshire that there's not one reservation in, in, in the entire state of New Hampshire. Um, so I'm curious if you can speak to that. Yes, I can, a little bit. So the, the treaties that the United States drew up with indigenous people were indigenous people west of the Appalachia, since they didn't recognize any of the treaties that the British might have, or because the United States replaced, in their view, they replaced um, the United Kingdom. So all, everybody that had any kind of relationship with the United Kingdom had no relationship with this new government. Which, I mean, I'll, I mean, I know you use love to talk about the, the United States and the founding fathers, but as far as we're indigenous people are concerned, we're talking about a coup to maintain slavery and to remove indigenous people, and you know, I mean, say, to hell to say that George III would have been better, but. George Washington, who was a land speculator and made a fortune get, getting rid of the land. He couldn't settle because it was indigenous land until the revolution. So yeah, uh, so that's, there's no, no, nobody east of the Appalachia had, had a treaty with the United States. So a lot of people have started fighting for that in that period, which we identify as the civil rights movement. They started fighting for recognition. And the Pequot were the first in New England to get recognition. And there was some, what's called state recognition of some of the peoples in Maine. And Danielle, do you know yeah. the date of the Wampanoag recognition? It was within. It was, 
in the I still 70s, had gray 60s, hair. <laughs> it was in the, um, I want to say the middle, middle 50s, 1950s. Uh -huh. Yeah. Oh, no. I know people that were in the lawyers for that, and they're not, they're not old people. Uh, not all elders. <laughs> well, um, we I think it was lost recognition and then got it back. Uh -huh. So in the 50s, when I was a kid, um, the Wampanoag leaders went to Boston for state recognition and were told that, no, they wouldn't recognize them because there were no Wampanoag people left. Mm. Yeah, even though they were standing in front of them. <laughs> Um, and so that was when I was a kid in the 50s. But then it happened again in the, they tried again in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, maybe 75, 1975-ish. Do you think it was later than that, Clyde? Well, I know people who, who were lawyers in the case and they're, yeah. not, they're not, they're younger than I am. <laughs> so, well. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a lawyer well. in the 50s. I, I was a, <laughs> so uh, given that, that all of this is going to be going on at GA, and we've talked a little bit about um, you know, microaggressions and macroaggressions that are going to be happening um, you know, as people are quote unquote learning, um, is one of the questions that, that came in is, is there a way for indigenous to use uh, to connect with other indigenous UUs um, while they're at General Assembly. Like, how can we support each other, um, you know, while all of this learning by our, our white peers and siblings is, is going on? Well, if I were them, I'd have them start right now by going to the um, Native Caucus of Drum and getting connected through that. And it would be great if, like, we. A couple of years ago, Blue had a space just for black folks to kind of get their breath again and get renewed. It would be good if we could do that at this General Assembly for Native people. But I'd start with the, with Drum. I'm sorry, Clyde, go ahead. No, that's all right. It, it, we do have a gathering place. Uh, one of the difficulties of the Providence Convention Center is that this relative to the size of our General Assembly in Providence, because it's, Providence is going to, a, a lot of UUs live within driving distance of Providence, let's put it that way. So there's going to be there's a difficulty with getting space, but we started last GA. They, when you count, when indigenous people gather, they don't like to gather in seats that are all facing toward the teacher. So we asked for a circular space. So there's a large circular space in, uh, where the chairs could be set up in a circle. Uh, it's called the rotunda, which is on the very top of the thing. And that's going to be there for all kinds of gatherings. But most of the workshops on indigenous themes, well, half the workshops on indigenous themes are uh, going to be scheduled in that space. So it's not like drum space where you can go anytime. Um, but there, there'll be gatherings. I mean, I know that the president of the National Con uh, Congress of American Indians would like, she's been elected three weeks ago. She's, uh, so she, she has liked to talk to people uh, from other communities. She was supposed to be representing the, uh, the president of the Congress, but 
Um, so rank and file, there'll be those discussions and the Lakota would like to talk about water protection. And so there'll also be gatherings of the indigenous people could be gathering. There'll probably be lots of meetings there uh, for all kinds of conversations. Um, we're just starting, but we're not scheduling anything until probably May because the General Assembly, as I said, they have space problems. They're gonna have, I think we'll have the same problem with drum space. I have a question. Are, are all of these workshops or is some of this plenary time for everybody? Some of these esteemed visitors, will they be introduced in plenary or, or will it all yes, be? Yes, some, uh, not all. Um, I, I talk to Susan about every two weeks and she keeps telling me that she only has limited freedom, <laughs> general assembly on, to be on the, on the stage. Because uh, it's there's a lot of stuff that's planned, uh, so we have, as I said, there's probably eight people that need to be, are, are that are what you call notables, um, and we'll figure something out. We have reserved Sunday afternoon after general assembly officially adjourns for uh, 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 what. You, it originally was called a teach-in and is now called a sharing of, of indigenous concerns where people will be actually talking about water, things like that. So I'm sure that those will be a time for some people to uh, address this. But the, if we do breakout sessions, we would probably have six speakers. Uh, um, and if we just let people speak, and to the whole assembly, you know, we could do a few more, but it's it's back and forth trying to decide what's more productive. Because if people go into breakout sessions on water protection, they were only they might come out to be activists on water protection. So, so that would even so, get to hear everybody. So um, as we continue to talk about decentering whiteness, we might want to. Um, encourage the people who are on those time schedules and limited time um, to think in a different way and maybe open themselves up to the practice of decentering whiteness at our biggest gathering of the year. So maybe Susan gets, gets to in, invite these people up and let them be introduced and speak a little bit and the heck with the schedule that minute. Okay. I know that's radical as heck. No, I mean, I'm I sure. know. <laughs> I mean, you, the women's fed has a way to make sure that they, they don't get pumped and so does the service committee. And yeah, no, you, you've been doing this stuff. So. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. That, GA, that GA minute to minute schedule is, is pretty, uh, for those of you who don't know, there, there is an actual GA schedule for general sessions that is literally um, a minute to minute schedule. Um, and, and I'm not even exaggerating. It's like, you know, at 1051 X thing will happen until 1059. And then, you know, it, um, and it, it 
it until I experienced it. I was like, wow, y'all are really, really deep into this white supremacy culture thing. Um, so when Jen yelled jokes about and Clyde jokes about, you know, it being radical to just let, allow people up there to just speak, um, it, it really, <laughs> in this context, it really is. But we, um, but yeah, I'm sorry. I, go ahead. We may have a, re, we may one of the ways that we're brainstorming to really get these people is to have a big reception off grid for um, these people to come together. So we'll, we're, we're saying these things in, in, to each other and then sometimes solutions appear. Yes, I love that. <laughs> I really do. That's, that's the best, some of the way some of our best solutions is here. Um, so one of the questions I have for you all is we're talking um, a lot about, you know, what's going to happen at General Assembly and how we need to be uh, mindful of ourselves coming to General Assembly. Um, and I'm always so aware that, you know, we have these experiences at General Assembly and then folks go home back to their local congregations and it, you know, it kind of just goes away and, and nothing, like, I don't know if people always can make the connection between what goes on at General Assembly and trying to bring it home. We have a lot of folks who do and that's fabulous and all of you are doing that, keep doing that, it's awesome. Um, that's exactly what General Assembly is supposed to be about. Um, but in particular to this, I'm wondering if um, there's any plans for um, takeaways for what folks can are learning at GA and being able to bring back to their congregations. Because um, you know, I think Clyde, you said, um, you know, so many of our congregations' wealth has been built on. Um, the enslavement of indigenous and African peoples. Um, and so I think until our congregations and their endowments are willing to start really, you know, critically investigating what that is, you know, I don't think we're really being faithful to, to quote unquote, what we're learning. And, and I, I have this, like in my heart, I have this concern of, all of these wonderful UUs coming to GA and just taking in this experience as um, consumers and as entertainment and not as like, yeah, this, this is really important information to learn and then you need to go back and do something with it. Um, so I'm just wondering what your feelings are on, on that kind of aspect. There are materials being prepared to be what you can do at home uh, kind of materials. I haven't seen them because I can only do four or five things at once. Uh, but I've, I've been told to see <laughs> that. The, every, the General Assembly planning, whoever it is that does that, the, the, the staff that does registration, is going to try to help every delegate, all four or 5,000 delegates, Figure out what who the original people uh, were, where they their their um, they, they come from, where where, where they're where they're settled, I guess is, <laughs> uh, and 
then they would be provided if they if they go to that computer and plug that in and get it on that little badge. I think it would be a ribbon saying something like Eastern Cherokee or Nipnack or something like that. Then they would be encouraged to actually do some knowledge of what happened to that people. So we're going to have 4,000 Indians there? 4,000 people, it'll be a slightly brighter than they were before they came. <laughs> I don't think that makes them a, 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 why? Getting a ribbon doesn't make you, a, it, take, it takes a lot longer to become <laughs> Cheyenne, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Getting a ribbon. But anyways, so they get, and if they do that, they, they will, there will be something that maybe will help them go home. Mm-hmm. So what's the, um, I guess you, you, you like, it's like splitting the atom, how much, what's the halftime on, on activity uh, based on that? I think there'll be a few hundred people that might do some activity when they get home. There'll be films that they can actually get from the people who provide films to show at home, and they're really good films, including We're Still Here, which is the Jesse Little Joe mm -hmm. Baird story, uh, The Condor and the Eagle, which is a major uh, discussion of the indigenous connection between South America and North America and all of the struggles going on by indigenous people. So this, and the Doctrine of Discovery movie, which I can't remember what its title is, <coughs> that Steve Newcomb did. So I think those would be good movies for people to come back to their congregation to have one of those continuing education thing. And I'm sure there will be um, handouts uh, at, the, at the workshops. I'm hoping that they will be specific so that there will be a charge, as it were, um, that will apply to whoever's in the workshop, no matter where they live. You never know. I mean, I've had people come up to me 10 years after I left the pulpit and said that they heard something I said 10 years ago and it made a difference. They did, went and did stuff. And they don't tell you for right away. So we're coming close to the top of the hour and I want to give, <clears throat> I want to give each of you time to share anything that you haven't had a chance to say thus far about um, preparing people to come to General Assembly or anything that you just want them to know about, um, about your work in Unitarian Universalism. So I want to make sure that you all had time to, there's anything that you were wanting to say to get it in here. Yeah, I, I would say um, that I would say to our white siblings that whiteness is always centered and for the time that they are in Providence, um, for them to remember to step back, that this is really not about them. The primary form of in, the genocide of indigenous people is called disappearance. That people, that and you could hear Unitarian, I, I, I've heard hundreds of my colleagues uh, talk, and they would say something like, the country was young when Thoreau 
in such and such. And, and they, they, they're completely oblivious to the fact that they just disappeared 10,000 years of human history. That they don't know nothing about indigenous, uh, that the fact that this, that there were more people living in the Western Hemisphere than were living in Europe before they were exterminated. So, you, and that to have that disappearance uh, talked about and then brought to the consciousness, I think in itself is a decolonizing act. The second is to know that, that, that when we start to look at the, the, something like, what, what the hell are we having all this problem with guns in the United States? Is to know that, that, that gun culture in the United States was created so to kill the Indians and, and to guard the African-Americans who were forced labor. That's why you have gun culture. And why you have violence? Because it's because this 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 particular people have been trained in violence for four hundred years. So I think that there are lots of things that will be possible to have conversations about. And as you indicated, uh, it would be important to have follow up memos to have those conversations when the people come back home. But disappearance is a huge quite problem. You use do not know anything about this country. No, and Kiana Perkins um, commented that capitalism and brownness <clears throat> as entertainment are some of the few ways white people are taught to engage black and brownness. They don't see black indigenous people of color as people. And that speaks to what you're saying, Clyde, the violent extractive capitalism that was the founding of settler colonialism in the United States continues in everything we do. And I think Unitarian Universalism has to take a really, really hard look at itself. I am disappointed, no shade to Naomi Klein, but it feels like a missed opportunity that we did not have um, an indigenous leader do the wear lecture. So I just want to name that. Yeah, and, and um, earlier, um, Danielle held up the book for um, an indigenous people's history of the United States uh, by Roxanne Dunbar or Beast. Um, and I just wanted to name that uh, for our folks that are listening just online and, and can't, couldn't see us holding up that book. That is the um, common read, uh, the EUA common read this year. There's two versions available uh, of it. One is the original version. And then this one is the for young people version, um, which um, a lot of folks are, are reading. I know um, Loretta Board is reading this as our common read this this year. Um, so there's definitely you know enough time to to get through this one before General Assembly arrives. Um, and I think somebody else had something that they were waiting to say. Uh, I was gonna. We were talking about things that should be on that sheet of papers of not things not to do. And uh, one of the books that also came out with indigenous people's history of the United States is myths about the indigenous people. Um, so one of the myths that the Unitarian Universalists are constantly doing, and it hurts our indigenous UUs a lot because they come and they they say, I just got told I didn't look like an Indian. 
is that you used to think that they could, they went to the movies and they know what an Indian looks like. But because, uh, so there are gonna be people who are indigenous who look somewhat African-American, what, what you think is an African-American look. Some people are gonna look Latino. Some people are gonna, you know, so there's gonna be a lot of mix. Uh, and that, that's a really insult, the, this idea that they, you look, or people, I've had people come up to me and push my cheekbone. Yeah, and, and I think I think Clyde, it, it goes right to that invisibility that you were talking about earlier. Um, you know, we hear, you know, from our pulpits about people, you know, talking about the beginning of the country, and um, and we hear, you know, a lot about when people are working with immigration, they're saying, well, we're all immigrants, um, just completely, you know, <laughs> just completely um, making invisible the folks that were already here and the folks that were brought here against their will. Um, so I think that as, you know, maybe the, the going away, uh, <laughs> the going away theme from this show is, um, you know, try and see, uh, what you're missing, uh, what you're making invisible by your actions and, um, who it is that, that you are, um, trying to center, um, in going to this general assembly. Danielle? And, you know, don't ask the Native people that you see what they are. Or what percent. Oh, oh don't ask that. <laughs> yeah, I love the percentage question. That's always great. <laughs> well, I thank you so much, Danielle and Clyde, for being here and taking the time. Uh, we really appreciate it. Thanks for everybody for joining us today. And next week, we have the Church of the Larger Fellowships um search committee for the new uh head lead minister <laughs> i can say it uh, the church of the larger fellowship is coming to talk to us uh to you all about the process of being in search for that new person um after meg riley does a fantastic retirement and needless to say i will not be there for that so i'll see you the following week and is going to take the lead yes yay, yay. Thanks so much, everyone. Bye-bye. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org. Thank you.